Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 98. Andrew forgot to do the intro, so I guess I gotta take it over. But we have uh, we have a pretty cool guest. We have a former Olympian. Uh, his name's EJ Paris. He's going to be actually speaking at our Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium. But he's one of those interesting guys who who ends up, well, at least locally, becoming famous for all his pursuits. Everything he touches, he ends up being good at, whether that's fashion, fighting, bodybuilding. He was, well, he was an anchor on, anchor? Anyways, he was on the Canadian sprint team. So he is at the Olympics in 2008 for the biggest sport on the planet in terms of what we go to watch. So he's one badass dude. And he's also very introspective. And you'll kind of tell that when when you listen to him speak. But he's someone who's continually trying to get better and create a life where he's always evolving. And I think that that's one thing that EJ has done over time. And you can really see his growth. At least I can, knowing him 10 years ago when I was when I was on the football team at the U of A and he would train. So he's one of those people that you can learn a lot from. And we're really proud to have him on. And it's really hard to, to nail him down. He, he doesn't do a lot of these. So... To get him out to speak, to kind of tell his story, it, it, it's an interesting one, so stick around. Shut up and sit down. Also, just one thing before we start the podcast is that our connection was kind of wonky with EJ, so you'll just kind of notice a bit of... Um, kind of gargling every once in a while. So apologize for that. Nothing we can do. Hopefully you can piece together what he's saying. It's not the whole time. It's more near the end, but just a heads up. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today we've got EJ Paris, also known as Coach Powell, uh, and he is flexing in uh, on our screen. You guys can't see it, but I, you almost need to do yourself a favor and pause and go check this motherfucker's social media out because he is one jacked and ripped dude. So he's an Edmonton-based He's a whole lot of stuff. He's a performance coach, competitive bodybuilder. You'll you'll know when you see him. Uh, he's a Canadian Olympic athlete. Uh, it was in the 2008 uh, Beijing Olympics. Uh, and he's one of our presenters at the Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium here in Edmonton. And before you... You're trying to interrupt me. What the fuck? Well, before, I want to be like... Basically, he does a lot of shit. But before like, he like intros himself, like literally, he's known around here for just like doing everything. I was talking to him yesterday about... His pull-ups to somebody, and I was like, I just said some number. He does pull-ups with like an extra 225 pounds, and I'm like, I probably got it wrong. He's like, yeah, I was 245, but it's like, <laughs> think of something EJ does well, and he, he pretty much is trying to do a world record at it, whatever that is. <laughs> so to finish what I was saying, we've, uh, we pulled him in as one of our speakers uh, here in September 14th and 15th. So uh, welcome. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. <laughs> I, uh, I feel privileged. Like I, it's been a while since I've been a part of somebody's podcast, especially one with uh, um, such a reputable, I'd say, uh, um, background. Like I know that you guys have brought on some very interesting speakers, speakers who I've uh, done a little bit of research on and found out that there was like some serious giants in the industry. So yeah. to be a part of this, uh, I'll say thank you very much. I think and, you're our uh, first Olympian. Yes. Is he our first Olympian? And I, I want to lead with that because it's like. We talk about it almost like it's like a side project, but like you were at the fucking, you were like the fucking Olympics for like yeah. sprinting, like the biggest thing you could do. Like you're fast, yeah. dude. 
<laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. There are times where I, I downplay it. You know, I look at it like there's some time. The reason why I'll downplay it at times is because I, I have this love-hate relationship with uh, corporate sport yeah. right now more than ever. Uh, as opposed to sport culture, I feel like that's the reason why you have a lot of athletes who think that that high performance is synonymous with health. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you see some high-performing athletes who are very, very unhealthy. The situation is what is pragmatic for them is they need to perform. So they got to do everything. That means ending up a torn labrum or whatever it may be or an issue with gut health it's because they're trying to stack in food so i uh i'm yeah i'm at off sometimes <laughs> when we even get to this like uh, we're, we're, we'll go off script today um but we we get into this with like we talked about with christian thibodeau about like early sports specialization and just like the dynamics of being good at a sport to try to get to these levels isn't necessarily the best thing for the human and like it's almost like the sport or the sport evaluation process or the recruiting process to get there is kind of the problem with a lot of these systems. It's like you have to do these things if you want to be here when that's not necessarily the best way in terms of like long-term performance. But it doesn't matter to these people because it's like there's money in these sports and winning. Yeah. Yeah. Get here. Get here now and show me the best that you can do. And um, long-term development, ah, let's not worry about that. You know, it's cool. It's a problem. It's, it's actually specific to this. Um, I was just in Kingston for, it was a project Stronger Jamaica anyways. It was with Stronger Experts. But long story short is we went down with a bunch of coaches to Jamaica to work with sprinters. And we learned a lot about their culture. And they're a very win-now culture in the sense that their high school programs don't give a shit about their long-term development to be the best sprinters that they can be into their mid-20s. They want to get performance. And they end up... Um, not halting them, but they basically have a negative effect on their careers because they're running 10 twos in high school, but they never run faster than that because they just try to like maximize their output way too young. And it's just interesting hearing all this because it seems like it's happening everywhere in, in, in every sport. Yeah. They're trying to like, uh, expedite their, uh, I'd say like, I mean, we all die of, for the most part, die of cellular exhaustion. <laughs> it's like, let me try and cram in as much cellular exhaustion as possible in this very short window. You know, it's like you're you're getting results that you should have gotten, that you you should have been patiently waiting for, that would have come to you over the course of five to ten years. But you're greedy and you want them in two. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very common, like to see athletes, and I know athletes in the sport of track and field who have they they they, they were very lucky to find coaches who understood long term development. And you'll see that kind of athlete last for so long. Everyone's like, oh, they're so resilient. And you're like, no, you got to take a look. Of what's happening behind the scenes. They have somebody who's concerned with long-term development versus the individual who finds the coach who's like, I'm going to give you as much volume as possible. Something's going to stick and you're going to run really fast, but I don't know what's going to happen to you in two to three months or two to three years. And this is a big part of the problem is the coach or any other infrastructure that benefits from winning now. The coach who has the top performing athletes serves the coach's agenda, their career advancement, and it's all very short-sighted as opposed to, as you said, a coach who is interested in long-term well-being of the athlete. We just talked with Hannah Gray about uh, powerlifting coaching, and we sort of danced around more off-air than on about, you know, you get these coaches who are really doing some freaky shit with their young people as powerlifters, but these powerlifters are going to burn out or they're going to get hurt pretty quickly. The coach looks good on the social media feed because, you know, the lift goes up, 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 but 
where's the long-term concern for the well-being um, of the athlete? And I, I think that a lot of coaches are missing that. I think a lot of coaches are probably fans of, what is that, Drake's uh, um, they, they're YOLO. <laughs> you only live once, you got to do it now. Tomorrow's never promised, so let's deadlift 700 today, even though your max is three. <laughs> you know, so you're seeing a lot of that. But uh, at the end of the day, like, I, I think now beforehand we had to, like, uh, when you think about um, sport culture and then that transformation into corporate sport, now we're having to deal with another beast and that's social media. Mm-hmm. And that's people knowing that they can they can win over millions of people and increase their sphere of influence just by one video. And we all know that term. It goes viral, viral. You're trying to get content that can go viral no matter what the cost is. And right now it's it's that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I excuse me, one of the things that I think is really affecting the quality of coaching because people are you know, and you mentioned people are chasing that, you know, the allure they want, they want to, they want people to want them. And the best way to distinguish one of the easiest ways to distinguish yourself from someone else is to do something fucking stupid. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, you, you maybe just think about Larry wheels, right? And this is a guy, I think he's what 24. If he's not 25 by now, this guy's a freak of nature. And he just tore a bicep. Did he? he just got announced. Yeah. So he doesn't get to compete in strongman stuff. Oh, yeah. He just tore a bicep. And, uh, Another good example is Caleb Von Moger tore a bicep because they did one of the stupidest fucking things I've ever seen. You take bodybuilders and they're doing dumb shit like tandem deadlifts or uh, tandem barbell curls. So I think it was him and yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe it was Chris Bumstead, another you know popular guy on social media. It was about a year, year and a half ago. And they do this like enormous barbell curl together. And sure enough, uh, Von Moger, who's been compared to a young Arnold, this guy's got a crazy physique just for a yeah. social media stunt has ripped a bicep, which may have permanent implications for his competitive career. So it's exactly right, what you're right. talking about. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens. Say, say that again. So guys, we have a little bit of a spotty connection. We apologize for, for that, but uh, EJ, what was the last thing you just said? Oh, I was saying I should check my social media to see if there's anything stupid that I've done. Oh, there probably is. Oh, completely. <laughs> There's a ton. <laughs> the thing is, like, you, you're one of the weird guys, and like, we talked, and we're going to get into this with the next question about like all the stuff you do. But because you are such a good athlete, it allows you the opportunity to do a lot of things and, and yeah. do them at a high level. So, like, like between like all the things you do, handstands, chin up, like something's going to give at some point. Like you just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like especially at that weight or yeah. intensity. Yeah. And age. And age. <laughs> and let's, and age. And let's yeah. distinguish something too, right? I mean, not every fun feat of strength, you know, like display of something that is overwhelmingly positive. I'll use something like Juju Mufu. I like Jimmy Jimmy Fufu. Juju Mufu? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's long blonde hair, always like shirtless and jeans. And he's he's a fun dude. He does lots of really entertaining shit. But it's a it's a performance thing. But I think there's yeah. a line between doing like a two man as heavy as you fucking can a one rep barbell curl I think that shit's stupid I think that's really fucking dumb and look what happened whereas like a lot of this other sort of stuff it's actually pretty fun I find Juju to be really entertaining but he can do that he has a background in like gymnastics like he just flips yeah yeah. I have a funny story so like I'd say about eight years ago nine years ago I purchased uh, uh, Juju Mufu's (laughs) how to trick and flip program really I was teaching myself how to do like 
like aerials and gainer backs and stuff like in my Okanda. <laughs> you, you, you did it though. Could you, you, you could do it, right? I think you posted yeah, a flip somewhere. Yeah, I, I, uh, I got the backflip. The backflip was down, backflip off the wall. And uh, I, the last thing that I was working on where I kept kind of mess, not messing up my ankles or anything, but botching landings was on the side aerial. Yeah. Where you do, uh, you know, you run forward and then do a, um, basically do a side flip. So yeah, yeah. And, like you have the ability to do that, which has a, another host of problems. <laughs> like you should not be doing side aerials because you didn't grow up doing it, but you can. So you're like, screw it, let's do it. You know, and, and, and I'm a big believer going out and having fun and doing fun shit too. I like, guess just sometimes I think there is some stuff on the extreme end that is fucking stupid and pointless. And I don't. Sometimes I think you find out what's stupid and pointless when it goes wrong, and maybe it's easy to look back in retrospect and say, well, look at these morons, they got themselves hurt. But um, let's pull it. Oh, you first, DJ. You said, go say something. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think like with as much as these things may seem like madness to others, sometimes, once again, it, it, it requires a closer look. Yeah. Or maybe the individual doing it, sharing more about their journey. So, for example, when I was doing the tricking and flipping, the first thing I did was I looked into who's really good at this stuff and who kind of looks like me. <laughs> <So> <laughs> mind you, back then, Juju Mufu was very, very skinny. So... <laughs> Um, at the time, I was I was significantly smaller, and you know I got into it and I just started studying this this stuff and I was trying to reverse engineer it more than he had, mm -hmm. um, not because I'm better than him, but just because I knew there were certain things that I didn't have that he had. The particular background in gymnastics, his was like quite uh, lengthy, as whereas mine is was very short. Uh, like the first thing I did actually, my mom put me in gymnastics. I was the first sport that I ever got involved in when I was a kid, but th that's. Basically, where I'm going with this is, is uh, sometimes you'll see these crazy feats of strength. Some individuals are just trying it out on a Tuesday. Meanwhile, they haven't been doing anything like that on a Monday, Sunday, any date before that. Then there are other individuals who have been consistently kind of practicing it, but they may not have been showing you, yeah. um, you know, some of what they've been doing. So I get that sometimes where people are like, man, I haven't seen any video of you doing a heavy lift. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I see you deadlifting 715 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, it's because I didn't share all that, all the, all the grunt work that I'd done leading up to that. You know, how are you able to train so hard for five to six months on end? Well, I didn't show you all of the capacity work that I had done previous to that. Excuse me, sorry that I'm not documenting my whole life. <laughs> but, but I think that that's the appeal of social media is like people can go and get that um, snapshot and they think that, well, they don't think, but like they don't see the background work because that's a lot of effort to show everyone what you're doing. And I think that then, right. then we have a misunderstanding of what is being showcased and the work that's being done. Because like to just get there, you didn't just show, like as as gifted as you are, you didn't just show up deadlifting seven hundred fifteen pounds. Like no. like it, no one really did outside of a few freaks. And I think that it looks almost more attainable. Like you said, people don't share enough, but they shouldn't have to share enough. It's not up to you to educate people on your training. But that's the kind of dichotomy you get with, I guess, the negative of social yeah. media is that they think it's possible yeah. without work. It's like oh, listen. <laughs> It's a lot of work. <laughs> All the questions that I get asked on social media, how long did it take you to get there? And, uh, you know, what do I have to do to get there? It's like, my whole life. <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> Go back and choose different parents is usually the first answer. It's like, how did you get so fast? It's like, well, I was, I, I was fast. I was just, I ran a lot for years. And yeah, I had a coach. Yeah, I and my parents. <laughs> you know what? You know, I always, you're, you're probably the right guy to ask this. I don't know what you think, but this is sort of off topic, but talk about fast. This this young white kid, White Lightning, I can't remember what the hell his name the, is. The guy, the Matt, Matt, the guy who just ran yeah. like a 10-1 for this, 10? This guy is oh, insane. Matt, yeah. yeah. What the Matt, fuck is up with this guy? Yeah. yeah. 
I saw him yeah. blow away this last segment of the, what, the four by one. Was it the four by? Yeah, and he caught up. It was four by two, and he four caught by up. Two. He caught up to that. Or maybe it's four. Anyways, he like. I've never seen anything like that before. Two events. Yeah. yeah. He did it in the four by one, and he did it in the four by four as well. Yeah. That one, I think he split 40. Amazing. Like, that's. In high school, a kid to, to split 44 seconds on a 400, like, and that was his preferred event, I, I believe, the 200 yeah. and the 400. Jesus. And then they, they, this past season, they decided to throw him in a, a 100 meter dash. Track and field athletes will do that. They'll open up their season in an event that, uh, where there's less stress wrapped around it. So an event that they don't really, there's not so emotionally invested in. Yeah. So he opens up the 100 meters and runs like 10 point, whatever, three or two seconds. And then it just keeps getting better and better. And it reminds me of Usain Bolt's career because yeah. he was a 200 meter specialist before. You never saw him in 100 meters until the, I think it was the Olympic year. Yeah. Or, uh, your previous Olympic year where he, he, he runs sub 10 seconds the first time and then just keeps doing it. So I think that this kid, if anything, if he's, I, I'd say that there, there, there's some strong similarities between not just him and Usain, but those two and other very strong sprinters, there's something to be said about a 100-meter sprinter or a 400-meter sprinter who can survive on both yeah. ends of, of that short spectrum. Well, 100. His problem, so like I was with a bunch of strength coaches, uh, speed coaches in Jamaica, and very similar to this Instagram talk and making money and fame was like he had a big choice to make because his, his video went viral and he could have went pro and got a bunch of sponsorships. Or he could go right. have a long-term athletic development and pick a college to go to, a good college that would progress yeah. his career. And I think he ended up going to school, but he could have literally made millions of dollars because he was the talk of the town for literally three months. Yeah. Not, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know what the best decision would be in that end. Like I, I, the funniest thing is this year, the NCAA championships in track, uh, there was some crazy times run in almost every single event from distance to the distance throw jumps and it's funny because the day after the um ncaa's the day ncaa's are over that's when you see a bunch of like sophomores and and this year even some freshmen who went pro right away yeah <laughs> like they ran some hot times and then they go pro and it's i think it's interesting because what some of us don't get to see is that these individuals will stay at the same school mm -hmm. some of them will continue to train with the same coach the, the, the one difference is that they can't compete wearing the school colors the school mm -hmm. pantone but they're still getting their education but now they're just actually banking like they have enough money to pay for their education there's no more a little bit more freedom so i think that it, it's it's a good idea for some not a great idea for others you know uh but i mean a guy like matt bullying him going to school if like i'm sure there's something that we know i mean that he knows that we don't mm -hmm. So I think that's a great choice, but for other athletes, I think sometimes it's a really good, it's a really good way to go. You know, like uh, Andre DeGrasse, I know he, he finishes that, he finished, uh, he finished up, but he went pro, I believe, mm -hmm. the year before. Um, he was, yeah, and he's hurt, year. but I think he banked money for two years. Like that, that could change that. Well, I'm sure it changed his life where if he would have yeah. stayed, it could have, he could have made no money and still got hurt. It, it goes to a, right. a related conversation and you could look at if anyone who's a basketball fan, Zion in uh in basketball oh, right. and he had that injury where <clears throat> he uh his shoe broke and he was right. forced by the the rules the nba's rules to play one year in the ncaa so a lot of people were really upset about that and they want that rule rescinded because it, it didn't originally exist lebron james came out of high school but so did kwame brown 
And you look at it and go, well, oh, LeBron cashed in big time, but then Kwame Brown was a failure. So it's it's easy to look in retrospect who should have probably gone through the college program versus who should jump to the pros. Uh, right. But with Zion, the belief was, you know, this kid could have been seriously hurt. That could have been the end of his earning potential right there. His career could have been over mm-hmm. with a serious injury of that nature and being forced to do that year. So I don't think it's an easy decision for a lot of these young athletes. And the money is tempting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. You're in the wrong era, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And this kind of leads into like career wise. Let's let's talk about EJ's career because I think this is some valuable stuff. Yeah, you're you're doing all this stuff. So uh, I think with a lot of fitness professionals, you get people who just stay super narrow, uh, and the then there's other people who ineffectively try to put their hands into everything. And there's something new every week. They're trying to be on every different social media platform. I don't know. Like, how did you put yourself in the position to be able to do so much? but yet achieve balance within it. Man, I, <laughs> it's funny because until I, I uh, until I was asked this question, I was in the understanding that I wasn't doing enough. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, I was kind of like, I'm doing a lot. Holy shit. All right. Um, so I would like to ask you guys a question. What, what is it from the outside? Um, what tells you that I'm doing a lot? Well, it's one of those things where like, and again, this might play to the myth of probably all the things you've done, but it's like, yeah. it, it's hard to understand if you're listening, but like EJ, no one around town is like, you're, you're doing the filming stuff. You're doing the track stuff. You're coaching like high level um, people as a training business. Then you see yourself doing fashion. Um, yeah. you're, you're literally everywhere. You're traveling. Like I see you traveling everywhere. And so like the appearance of like what you're doing is like, is it a myth? Are you doing all these things? But you are to some yeah. extent. And then you have the background to back it up. Like, I think having on the resume Olympian doesn't necessarily make you qualified, but people understand yeah. that like, okay, this guy's a high level performer. So they hear these things and it's like, man, he, you're doing everything at the highest level. I think there's one thing worth mentioning is like, you know, the, the Olympics in your competitive career, we're talking like 2008, a lot of that stuff was much more active, you know, over a decade ago, right? A little bit further back than that. Yeah. The the bodybuilding, mm-hmm. that comes in pieces. That's not like something that you're doing two, three shows a year. Fight, fighting career. Yeah. Like, so you've done like, a lot of different things over, over time too, which I think is important to distinguish, but it still seems like, again, the thing that jumped out at me was, you know, to work with the fashion stuff recently, plus yeah. your reputation. You are a very well-regarded, high-profile trainer at Edmonton. And that, that's, a, that's a small list of people who get talked about in that kind of stratosphere. So you've had this career, but yet you're still really involved in all these other things. So yes, so as an outsider, this is definitely what we're seeing. Yeah, I guess I'm like, a, I guess you call me like a busy bee because there are times where I'm like, man, I feel like I'm not doing enough. <laughs> got like a severe case of ADD. <laughs> you can only sit down for so long and be entertained by one thing for so long. Uh I'm going to kind of dive into a question I think you guys will probably ask me a little bit later, and it's about uh, books that I've read. So I'm going to jump to that right now. There's a a title that I picked up called The Kabbalion, and they talk about the seven hermetic principles, which I like to call the seven principles of Toth. And one of them is the principle of correspondence. And when I read that one, it resonated with me so, so deeply. I'd say that it touched me so profoundly, and it's that everything is connected, and as simple as that. So... uh, I started to look at the world as like a place where we've kind of 
fragmented everything and compartmentalized everything in order to digest it. But what I decided to do is I was going to put it all together. So I can do the, I do the fashion thing because I, I, I really enjoy it. I love it. And I see a connection there with what I do when I'm working with athletes and non-athletes. Um, when I'm competing, I'm learning. When I'm competing, I'm teaching. There's just a connection with everything that I do that may not, that not a lot of people, I'm, well, I shouldn't just assume, but I feel like some people don't see it. So to me in my world, I, I feel like I'm doing one thing. Mm-hmm. But on the outside, I guess people see me doing various things. You know, um, so I don't know if that has... Uh, well, it, it does. It, does. it honestly yeah. reminds me of, you've seen the Bo Jackson documentary, but like at the beginning, yeah. they like interview everyone, like Bo jumped the river, Bo threw a ball one mile into a window. Did you see Bo? Anyways, there's all these things. And like, this isn't the pump your tires, but like, we're a buddy's doing pull-ups. I'm like, did you know? Because we both know you. Do you know EJ did this? But everyone has their own piece of like, did you see what EJ did at this thing? Or like, so it's 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 almost like there's a bunch of myths, and who knows what's true. But the appearance from the outside is like you're doing like literally everything, and at, like again at a high level. So it's like it's hard to distinguish, especially because your social media isn't. You're not showcasing everything, so we only get the talk, and the talk is like, holy fuck. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think like I'm terrible in the kitchen. <laughs> kitchen, I play volleyball. Uh, I haven't been to a golfing range in probably ten years. My putt game's good. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things I can do poorly. <laughs> My guess is you utilize your time well, and I've read a bunch of really good books on just prioritizing your time. And, and if you really want to make time for stuff, you could have a, someone you have a busy family life and still you know, work a full-time job and still find time for pursuits and hobbies. Um, I think you're pro- you know, this may be true. I, I suspect it is. You probably don't sit down and scroll social media very much. And you probably don't waste your time doing these sort of things. You probably put the time into advancing the things that matter to you. Yeah, most definitely. I like not too much idle time. And when there is so-called idle time, like it's, it's introspection. So to somebody else looking at me, they might think like this guy's just sitting there in silence, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh, lamenting, ruminating, whatever. I'm, you know, thinking deep, depressing thoughts. So I'm thinking something very uh, uh, inspiring, you know, no matter what it is, like there's always, there's always a challenge in front of me, whether there's action or inaction. So, uh, but the one thing is that growth is always on my mind, you know, and I know for those who hear me say, you know, that there are times where I just sit there and lament and they go, oh, my God, that sounds dark. Well, it's actually a, a particular practice that I got involved in when I started doing uh, cognitive behavioral um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy training yeah. and dialectic training. And one of them was to actually put yourself in kind of a dark spot mentally and just kind of. Uh, bask in it and then pull yourself out of it as a, as a method of uh, learning how to, what they call transmute. So take yourself from a feeling of, let's say anger to a feeling of happiness. So kind of intentionally ride from one end of the spectrum to the other as a way of demonstrating you like your inner power. So it's, it's part of that, uh, that whole concept that Paulo Coelho kind of shares as an allegory in his book, the alchemist, you know, so that's something that I do. This is really, really, really smart stuff. And it makes me think of the book's a little out there. Uh, the power of yeah. now by Eckhart Tolle, which Eckhart is, Tolle, yeah. which is a really cool book, but 
one of the essences of it is, and, it, and meditation is all about this, is let's, we're all, we all train our bodies and we're talking fitness, we're talking about people who are training our bodies to get stronger, to adapt. You can train the mind. The mind very much, metaphorically speaking, is a muscle. And think about how often thoughts into your mind are not in control of, particularly negative thoughts. We as humans tend to spend more time with negative thoughts. We can train ourselves to push those thoughts out of our mind. Meditation has a lot to do with that stuff. And we can learn to be in control of where our mind is going. And I think a lot of us spend most of our time totally at the mercy of where our thoughts passively take us. But if what you are basically saying is you're spending more time on developing the mental strength to be in more control or, of your thoughts. Or even just understand them. I think a lot of the problem with a lot of things, mental thoughts or otherwise, is that they're unconsciously happening to you. You're not aware that these things, like people don't even know they're angry when they're angry. People don't know they're stressed when they're stressed. They're like, I'm not stressed. Like, well, you are. But I like the idea of sitting with it so that you can understand what it is even and what right. it looks like and what it feels like and, and again, how to get out of it because that's a skill you will need because sh bad shit's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. Right, right. Well, big time. It's like one thing that I love to do is to find new ways to develop mental resiliency. <laughs> like, you know, coping skills, things like that. Because at the end of the day, like, if you really think about it, the mind, the mind can be threatened way more than the body can be. If you think about it, like the opportunities, the potential for the mind to be threatened versus, I mean, I mean, unless you're, you're talking like you're living in the Gaza Strip or something like that, <laughs> like we're pretty fortunate out here, but at the same time, there's so much more, there, there's an attack going on here all like every, you know, I'd say every second of the day. So why not try and develop your armor, your mental armor? Um, th this is actually kind of a personal question. Um, not per it's not that personal, but because we have you on here, how much did th any of this stuff play in the fact of when you were, when you were running at a high level, like in the Olympics, did this stuff, was this stuff part of the equation or is this something you developed afterwards? Like, you know what I mean? Like the whole mental stuff, like, was that something in your practice back then? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this stuff, uh, I'd say it was happening just towards the end of my career. Uh, I was working with, I'll plug this, this woman, she was amazing, Dr. Susan Cockle. She currently works with uh, women's basketball in Team Canada. Yeah. And our coach had hired her before she was with Team Canada basketball. She worked with just a select group of, of the athletes that were in our club. And I have so many holes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, you know, you would, you'd say, hey, how are, you know, I, I, People would ask me the question, how do you feel about this upcoming meet? You feel like you're going to run fast and win? And I would say yes. I'd tell you, I was candid. I'd tell you exactly what you wanted to hear uh, or the common narrative that you would hear from a confident But really what I was hiding was I was dwelling on not losing. I was dwelling on who my competitors were and their pedigree. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know that I belonged in certain races, in high-level races. So the issue that um, getting into CBT and stuff, it was uh, an NLP, neurolinguistics programming. It came after when there wasn't so much risk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when I was actually, let's say, when I was willing to lose because I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like there was much that I was going to lose. I wasn't going to lose a big race on TV and stuff like that. I would just lose a race at home in my own head, which was fine. Well, that's, I guess... That, that, there's a lot of talk about that too like especially with athletes that are done competing is like you don't it's not talked about a lot but you also yeah. don't understand the level of stress and even those conversations that athletes have 
with each other because it's not talked about. You're expected to be like the racehorse, the stud. You're supposed to say all the right yeah. things and like in a lot of these people's heads, which the psychology part is fairly new in terms of like it being yeah. accepted, but like that wasn't a thing back then. Like you, no. just you, you're you're supposed to win, like fucking get yeah, get ready. Yeah. You're supposed to win and you know, you can say like a lot of the like people would say all the, the best athletes are born with the confidence. Yeah. Yes, and like it can be developed because I mean the mindset that to say, but if I had this same mindset back when I was a competitive sprinter, I think it would have been a you would have seen a you would seen you would have you would have seen yeah. much better performances. Well, you, 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 automated the automated negative thinking patterns yeah. wouldn't have the predominant thinking patterns. When there was a there's a weird um, I was with Coach Cav um, he well he trained Gatlin when he won um, and I was with him in Jamaica and a, and a lot of the things was kind of developing that sports psychology aspect, but not developing awareness of every situation. It's almost like sometimes with some of these athletes, knowing too much is also a negative. So giving them the tools to like understand how to deal with these pressures without actually letting them know all the pressures that are associated with it. You know what I mean? Like knowing too much can also be a bad thing. So it's like a fine line, especially with high level performers. And it's just interesting because now it's coming into the understanding of like this shit matters and it can have huge impacts on even money one and all this stuff, which wasn't there before. Right. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. There's an athlete that I just started working with, uh, Marco Arup. He's, uh, one of the top 800 meter runners in Canada right now. He goes to Mississippi state and he, he, he was injured in the indoor season, mm-hmm. injured his hamstring. And, you know, there's some things that, you know, a lot of people would be quick to try and share with the athlete, yeah. which would really fuck with their head. Yeah. You know, I think the silence, the 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 filter, is, is very important. You know, I I'd say also a product of uh, we're all products of like our environment, and I did have a couple coaches in my early career who were very wordy. Yeah. I can say that they were telling me a lot. There was like a thousand cues. And, you know, it was like, I don't want you walking around in the mall because you're going to be tired tomorrow and you're not going to race well. <laughs> I'm just I'm that outfit that I can't walk around the mall for two hours because you think I'm going to lose my race as a result of that, that expenditure over there. Like, that's sad, you know, like little things like that. So I did go through a phase where it was like I was felt like I was paralyzed by by all the information. And it's, it's funny you talk about CBT because I think... Um... That has a like a lot. Well, that's that's one of the only things that's been scientifically like, studied. But like it works, especially for a lot of that stuff because people are telling you what to be afraid of or not afraid of. But CBD kind of like allows you to understand yourself and the effects of those without someone biasing them. Because it's all about right. your own personal, I guess, evaluation of what's happening, not necessarily what people say should happen. Right, right, and that's that's my. I guess that's like. Uh... In a nutshell, that kind of reminds me of like what you just said. Reminds me of uh, uh, the anecdotal side, yeah, and and like science based. I mean, excuse me, the evidence based information. Yeah. Like it's you have this theory, and it was let's say it was someone hypothesized, and there was a little bit of bias wrapped around it, and they proved this, but it's 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 uh, circumstantial. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, the human experience is key. Human experience trumps everything else, and uh, you know we see all these different cases with athletes, and <clears throat> let's say their their uh, experiences with 
a sports psychologist. The, the cases that I find are where there's some crazy or marked improvements made in the mindset of is when the individual themselves, where the change within whom the change needs to occur, where they desire to make change, mm-hmm. not where the, the sports psychologist says, I need you to change this. It's when the individual themselves says, I desire change. I need to use my imagination, my creative will to change. And what that means is that it's, it's, it's about that individual, and it's 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 not usually like a, a something you can duplicate. You can't duplicate that same case and then try and apply it onto another individual. I think you guys froze. We can hear you, but our screen is froze. So, you still there? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Sorry, we froze there for a second. No, I, yeah. now, we're good. now we're good. We're good. It looked like he was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck, stop talking. Well, like none of this stuff's important <laughs> to what? anyone. What you're saying is so true in so many walks of life. People, with the clients we work with, we talked a little bit about this with Hannah in the last episode. Um, The client has to decide that they want to change. They have to decide that they want to make nutritional changes. They have to decide that they want to do certain things physically. Us telling them to do certain things outside of, you know, the most adherent athletes and even then they still have to desire it. it. It's true of addicts or anyone who's dealing with a problem in their life. They have to be the one ready to make the change in their life. Uh, no one else as an external force is going to be able to tell them anything. Right. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, it's funny because it's like we have, we finally laid down a time for talk to EJ. And we just want to ask you all these questions because like it's you're <laughs> and again this goes back to the myth thing, but like your life's pretty interesting. Like we'll we'll say that. Um, even if you don't think it is, do you anyway, and we're talking about a lot of your pursuits, but do you in any way find that your very pursuits limit your opportunities like as a whole? And how do you choose where to put your energy or even apply your boundaries on what you do and don't do? Yeah. Uh, three questions. There. So the first one, uh, yeah, I feel like there, there's, there's always gonna be some limitations and I'd say the ones that stand out that are probably really common amongst, you know, from person to person, um, who seems to be very busy and has their hands in um, time. Yeah. Time is, is an issue. Like, uh, Dan, like time management is, is, is key, uh, which is why like creating a hierarchy is very important. It's, it's kind of like programming, yeah. <laughs> right? You're designing a program for someone. You're like, okay, what, did it, what is it that I'm trying to, to draw attention to? And how many things can I get done at once? And usually it's, two at most some some cases three uh but time is an issue and uh energy i find that amount of energy i think i'll excuse me i'll go i'm gonna put energy first because i find myself feeling tired before i realize that oh man i don't have enough time to do something um because you can always extend the amount of hours that you're up (laughs) um so uh, yeah, I find that energy and time are limitations, and sometimes uh, limitations are the like you're in a relationship. Like I have a girlfriend, um, and I think that that's something that that's that's an area where I've been terrible, <laughs> where I've been terrible. <laughs> I've been in like three relationships. Well, one of them was with uh, another sprinter, so it was that was kind of an easier relationship, but. Um, and now I've kind of slowed things down with how active I am in the gym, but that was like my life, like being in the gym, being with, with my clients, 
um, being outside, going for walks, you know, working, doing my CBT work and stuff and NLP work. And, uh, um, learning that balancement is very dynamic was a huge, um, was a huge, uh, definitely like a, a milestone in my life. Realizing that this isn't something that is static, obviously within its title, it's, I should have known set aside a schedule and you go, okay, I'm going to do this at this time, this at this time, this at that time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. You know, uh, shit happens. You got to be able to adapt. I think it's a universal principle. Um, but I find that, yeah, the limitations have, have uh, largely been the energy side of things. Um, competencies and say competencies, not so much because I think one of my biggest strengths is not that I'm smart. It's that I if I really want something, I'll, I'll pick up, I'll pick up the pieces. Like I feel like I can, I learn pretty quickly. Uh, and I think that that's seen with some of my athletic endeavors. Like I was able to adapt to do freestyle wrestling, mm -hmm. to mix martial arts, to bobsled, to rugby. To so you don't do much at all. <laughs> see, see what I mean, buddy? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just studied. I actually, I remember my first wrestling competition or first wrestling practice, uh, wrestling coach was like, hey, so what's your background? Because after like just uh, rolling around for a bit, he's like, holy shit, you're pretty good. You know, do you have a wrestling background? I go, no, I've just been watching it. I have a subscription to the Big Ten Network or Big 12 Network, and I watch all the folk style college wrestling. And I just learned my practice. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you, you, so know that's kinda... you know what's interesting, though? And... and... I'll kind of sum this up is that especially with a lot of the self-help stuff that's out is everyone's lining out the best process that everyone needs to follow to do the things that they want to do. And a lot of it, what's talked about now is blocking off your time and scheduling everything. And at some point, again, context matters, but it's not going to be the way for everyone. Like you're, you're ADD to the max and like, yeah, some of those strategies might help, but you may not have achieved the stuff you had if you've done it, if you did it that way, because that's not necessarily going to work for you. I think it's okay. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I I think we need to. There's so much information out there, uh, but there's another thing that is very key that I've realized that, and it's that we need to take the who overstand and understand the individuals who are administering or sharing the information, mm -hmm. because I think that it, some of the stuff that we pick up. We have to realize that it can sometimes be archetype specific. So if someone's writing a self-help book, but they are largely, mostly a visual learner, but I'm not that type of learner, that can pose, that can create an issue. Uh, I've seen just the same in, and this is actually, this, old, this is a really deep one that I'm really into now with uh, um, like Dr. Sebi. I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Sebi. No. He was a self-taught um, nutri uh, nutritionist, so to speak, or uh, I don't know if I can say nutritionist. Um, I'll say whole food specialist. He specialized in the diet and creating dietary regimens for people of a particular genome or condition. So he actually was, he talked about the difference in the diet between someone of a like we'll say a Caucasian versus someone of the African phenotype, that there is a difference. But people are like, oh no, there's not. There's a the human genome is ninety percent, ninety percent like a it's it's identical mm -hmm. uh, 
to 90% like across the board, no matter what the complexion of your skin is. But he was saying, yeah, that's, that's great. But that 10% difference is a lot because you don't see the modern European so-called race walking around with sickle cell anemia or uh, high propensity for diabetes and things like that. So there are some dietary concerns. So with that, it reminds, it, it tells me that we need to start looking at who's sharing the information. What are their experiences? You know what I mean? It's uh, it's, it's another rabbit hole that that somebody that I mean that we need to start jumping into is doing more research on top of the research, looking at the individual, not just not just the theory. That here's a couple of really good easy examples of some of the dietary differences. So n- most people, Caucasian from Northwestern Europe digest milk have lactose or lactase right. as an enzyme whereas the yep. percentage of african americans or anyone of american descent or sorry african descent uh south asians especially i know don't metabolize alcohol particularly well and you know it's right. not necessarily a politically correct thing sometimes to dance around but i know the native american population of north america also don't process alcohol the same way as uh, as northwestern europeans so there are absolutely a bunch of re- obvious differences well, and these are the ones that we know and talk about so right. probably and, a lot and the one size fits all doesn't work even like cal newport love his stuff but even his digital minimalism the dude doesn't use facebook like he doesn't yeah. use a lot of the platforms even though the book is great there's some of the things where i'm like i don't like it's just not gonna apply to everyone you know what I mean? Right. And if you, if all you did was like you read Cal Newport's books and they're like he, it's the word, at some point he's he might not be the best person for some of those things. And it's just a matter of like that's hard because if yeah. if your name's on a book, the you're you're thus all knowing, and I, it's hard to distinguish with that. Yeah, yeah. Especially for people looking for answers, you know, because they don't. Oh, yeah. know. Well, that's the thing. People looking for answers, uh, they have every individual has the answers. <laughs> <laughs> the information around them, the resources they use around them, that is it's very important. Uh, the, the information around them, I think, is there to offer context. But they, the individual, needs to, needs to consider that, that they are the key. They hold the key. They, you know what I mean? It's, everything is about them in a selfish way. And I think a lot of people come to individuals like us for training because they're they're scared or they feel like they don't have enough time. Like, I want you, the professional, to tell me what to do. And we're looking at them like, well, I need you to tell me what to do <laughs> because I need to learn who you are. I need to know where you come from. Tra- that's why training is just like gathering information is so key because now you're saying, okay, yeah, I, I specialize in this area and I have, I, I, I have a wealth of knowledge and experience, theoretical and practical, but I need to know you because now, because we're the most important piece. You can design a, an amazing program for for no one, <laughs> and what's going to happen? <laughs> well, it, it actually, you say that, and we just had this conversation with Hannah um, last podcast, which will already be aired. And generally, all the people who are good coaches come to that understanding that like it's about that relationship first, because you, you can build the perfect program, but if applied to the person who's not going to do it, it doesn't matter. So it's almost yeah. unlocking, but that's the art of coaching to a T. Right. Oh, big time, big time. Uh the priest post last night talking about that. <laughs> you said Brett Bartholomew? Because we just it's like literally the same conversation we just had. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh you oh you guys are just talking about We were that? literally just talking yeah. about conscious coaching and it seems to the the listeners they'll probably be like, What the hell are you talking about? We literally just talked about like how awesome those archetypes were, especially for anyone who's been in the industry or played sports, it's like you can pin 
archetypes on each one of those players, and it's like it's almost insane how close they are. Yeah, yeah, all oh, big time. Um, you know who I'd love actually an individual who I'd love for you guys to, to chat with about archetypes um, is Jonas Dodu, J O N A S, and it's D O D O O. Yeah, he's a sprint coach out in the UK. He coaches Reese Prescott. He's run nine. He just ran nine nine seven. Really, he, he's coached a ton of individuals, rugby players. He's like the most sought after um, sprint speed uh, consultant in the, UK. in the UK. Yeah, he's 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 awesome. He's awesome. He was at Houston for I'd say maybe six or seven months while you were playing football at the U of A. Really. So you, Seen him in the yeah. He was apprenticing under my coach Kevin Tyler. Yeah, so he would have been on the track then. Because I remember you guys always training. Yeah, yeah. So he's 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 man. That guy's just like a wealth of, of knowledge, yeah. and I'd love to. You I would love for you guys to pick his brain because I would. You have to hook us up. It's actually funny. You speak about like back when we were U of A. So I remember this is totally like off topic, but you guys would all be sprinting and be like, "Fuck those guys! Like you can't play football." <laughs> <laughs> Like we're fast, like, but it's 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 just hilarious because like we all respected you guys because we're just watching even the females we're, we're they would just they they could kill us in a, in a race yeah. we're just like watching this stuff and we're just holding on to our like own athleticism like yeah but can they play football it's like well <laughs> I could I could tell they could have slapped pads on you sent you at running back and it's Gizmo well, Williams all to be to be yeah. fair. We had a few track guys try, and they weren't that good. EJ probably would be good because of his size, but a lot of the tall sprinters that didn't understand the game, they would come out, and they were the easiest because their only tool is to run fast. But you yeah. can't – the ball has to be there. So, like, you can't yeah. – you can run straight, but if you look at the ball, everyone's mechanics just drop. It's like they almost yeah. stop midair. It's, just, it's, it's cool. It's cool to watch the difference in sport because it is different. Oh, yeah. No, I, that, was, that was my like my experience with rugby. You know, it was really interesting because, yeah, I could run fast, but uh, I became a one-trick pony when I moved to Edmonton because my coach was like, I don't want you doing anything else. Yeah. Like, no really no bowling on the weekend, no laser tag, no, you know, <laughs> don't go out there and, you know, what, like, I, it was just, I was highly specialized. And I remember previous to that just being, I felt like I was an all-around athlete. There was a lot that I, yeah. that I felt like I could do. And when I got to rugby, by that time, it was like everything was, was so sagittal for me that when I got to rugby and I had to find spaces, I was I was I was having a problem. But you did so well. I was you did wide well. Circles around people. You, you were because you played sevens, right? Like, were you on the national yeah. team? Yeah. Well, the I I never signed on with the national team, but they recruited me on Twitter, and actually Jen Kish was a part of that. Was the reason why I got recruited because. Uh, Carlin Niles, who was the sprinter, he was like top 40 sprinter in the United States of America. And I don't think things were working out for him that well in track, or I could be wrong, maybe they were, but he got recruited by U USA Sevens. So they yeah. pick him up and then he becomes his YouTube sensation. Yeah. And then that's when the Canadian team was like, hey, we need to look for a sprinter. Um, a lot of the sprinters I'd say, apart from myself, maybe one other, uh, are pretty frail. So Jen Kidd put me in this hat. And they contacted me off Twitter, brought me out. We trained. I didn't know a thing about the game. So the first week was just embarrassing. The first couple of days were embarrassing. But the more, the more uh, uh, I started to study and the more I handled the ball, it got better. And uh, I was supposed to sign with the team. I was in 
that was like October 2013. Yeah. I was supposed to play my first game in Canada's Colors in January at the Vegas Sevens tournament. Unfortunately, November, it was November 26th, I tore my MCL playing a game of 15s. I never played 15s before. A local team in BC flew me out. Uh, and it was an opportunity for me to get more practice, uh, more training time. Obviously, it was a, 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 it's, it's not quite the running man's game <laughs> as sevens is. Nope. So there's space. And yeah, it was like the first six minutes of the um, first half. I was fighting I was fighting for the ball, and guys came in to ruck. And I was stacked a little too tall. Like, I had the ball in my hand. And two guys landed on my leg while I was at kind of like a lateral lunge. <laughs> and I just felt my knee touch the ground. It's just funny because, like, it, it's like it, it comes back to, and we've made jokes about this, but like the myths are all true. Like, I, I didn't even know that story, but I was like, I'm pretty sure EJ was on the national team. And I, I don't follow you like crazy, but like, it's just yeah. out there. <laughs> Man, you're both, you're like the Bo Jackson of Edmonton. It's, it's the best. To give people a little bit of context, too, because you mentioned uh, the name Jen Kish. We were talking about Jen mm-hmm. off air before this. And so, Jen is an old mutual friend of ours, both of ours. And she was the captain. She's retired now, but she was the captain of the Olympic women women's rugby team sevens, and they won bronze in Rio. So mm-hmm. it, she's actually one of the very few people who keeps pushing me back. I want her on the podcast. We actually want her to speak at the at the strength symposium. She's real busy this summer, but she like she says she'll eventually do it. But I totally want to pull her out here. She's she's an amazing personality, and you know she represents just so many good things that she'll. You know, she'll speak and present on. So, and, uh, you know, anyone who's, you know, this is about you here, but anyone who doesn't know who she is, who's in a sport or, you know, a lot of like, you know, important social issues like LGBTQ plus rights and stuff like that. Like Jen is actually really amazing. So she's a great follow on her, uh, her Twitter and her, uh, her Instagram. So let's actually go into this one because we're going to ask you about your social media time and how you spend it. So as I research ideas for things to talk about in these episodes, I'll usually dig around on there. And so your Instagram, you're pretty active on there and it shows a lot of your fitness stuff, whereas your Facebook really almost kind of doesn't go there at all. Sometimes there's some some social commentary, but it's not a lot of the fitness thing. So how do you choose to allot your time across social media? What are your sort of philosophies around social media usage? I don't like it. <laughs> Sorry, you don't, you don't like it. Yeah, I don't like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I uh, I'm a, I'm a pen and paper person. I don't like to spend too much time in front of the computer, in front of my phone. I'd rather write things down, draw. That's the kind of that's I feel like that's where I'm at my best and worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I'm but I'm able to cope there. I've had issues, and one of the reasons why I don't like um, being in front of my computer or TVs and such too much is because I suffer from vertigo. Really? So not a lot of people get that. Yeah. So it started in 2013, and just recently, I have quite a bit of ink uh, tattoos. I actually have my head tattooed as well, both sides, top. And I was told just once again hearsay that he noticed that a lot of his clients, after getting their head tattooed, ended up with symptoms of vertigo. So 2012, I got my head done. All of my head tattoos were done in 2012. And then in September of 2013, I, had, I was the first time I had an experience with vertigo, and it, and it kicked my ass for most of, like, 2014, 2015, where I was traveling a lot. So in and out of the plane with, like, I had a ton of flight segments. And, yeah, so there's I've always found relief in, in 
staying away from my computer and my phone. Because mind you, in 2013, I also started doing a lot of, uh, I did less FaceTime coaching and more online coaching before it was a thing. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of assumed, I started assuming it was because of the increase in screen time. So now usually when I'm, when I'm in front of my computer or whatever and stuff, I use these blue light blockers. Yeah. <laughs> He's holding up uh, yellow sunglasses. I think we've talked about this before. And like, coincidentally, I had this conversation with one of my clients who's a cardiologist and, and I'm really interested in sleep quality and you know, I'm trying to write some more stuff on this. And I, he actually just showed me like, I didn't even know how to do this. Show me the settings on my tablet, and my phone. Oh, yeah. I am on, on my tablet constantly uh, through work. Yeah and just changed it to uh, like away from that blue light setting. And so it was kind of like yeah. a weird look at it at first, but now like I'm totally gonna to commit to this long-term. I don't wanna see what it does to my sleep quality. Well, even even the strain in your eyes, the blue light, if you're staring at it the whole time, it's like, it's, it's just hard mentally. Cause it's just, it's a, it's an external input that's fake. That's yeah. the sun, yeah. <laughs> like it fucks with you for real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vert Vertigo, I had a brief bout of it shit like last year. Um, Really? I oh yeah, I suspect it was probably because I hit my head. I broke a TRX. I was doing inverted rows on the TRX snap. I, I don't trust <laughs> TRXs anymore. I've actually done this twice now. I'm, really? I'm 260 pounds, so you oh, figure wow. these these TRXs are rated for these rated for that shit. You should have sued them. And, well, yeah, what? Sue, <laughs> nah, know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sue. I'm gonna sue Evolve. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, sue <laughs> TRX. Like, yeah. um, anyway, so I spoke my head pretty good on the first one, and anyway, so yeah, so like for it was probably like a good two weeks where you you get up out of bed, you turn, and it's like holy fuck, right? It's like you you're having the worst like buzz where you're gonna throw up from having drank too much, and then it sort of settles down. You move around a bit, but if it's if you get up or down or change head position, this shit's horrible. So I'm thinking like, dude, if you've been dealing with this stuff ongoing for years, holy hell, yeah. that's not fun. No, oh, not fun at all. Not fun at all. Is it gone now? Yeah, yeah. I haven't had. Uh, well, I'd say like two weeks ago, I was getting like a really light spell. Yeah. So I just I started. I, I go through my little digital. I have like a particular protocol that I'll that I'll follow. Like I I really try and stay away from. Like I'll minimize for a good couple of days, and I usually I notice that it, it usually subsides. So I'm sure there's something like this has something to do with it. These monitors and screens, blue light. Well, we're forced to the point. You're going to have a vertigo episode after us forcing you to be on screen with us. I hope, uh, I hope not. So <laughs> it's like, literally you, you guys fucked it up. I was yeah. doing so well, but I'm on the so, podcast and like it messed with my head. So I, I get the impression that you got like a barf bag. <laughs> you talk about being resilient. Like you're literally the most fragile human being. ever. <laughs> I probably yeah you know, yeah yeah I'm like I've I've had some issues with with uh, allergic reactions to foods and such so my gut's pretty sensitive. <laughs> yeah. uh, as, as I was gonna throw it back to like eating a different type of food so it's eating all the stuff that uh, you know won't bother me as a northwestern European descendant but yeah as messing with you pretty hardcore. Um, oh yeah like I I found out I was lactose intolerant at like 12 years old. But I believe they say that's around the age. That's common. That's very common. Yeah. Uh, that age where, because the way I understand, like lactase, um, the enzyme is it's it's it, it breaks down lactose. But lactose is like a what they call a a, a disaccharide. Mm -hmm. So it's like a like a double sugar. So then 
the lack, the excuse me, the lactase enzyme, um, if it's slightly deformed, it can't break it down. So that's what happened in myself. <laughs> so people are always like, oh, you should just take the take the pills so that you can enjoy the you can enjoy the uh, <laughs> you know the dairy. It's like ah, I'm all right, I'm okay. I don't want to just dump more synthetics in just to consume something my body's you know no fair so. enough let's get you to quickly hit on um the fact that you're presenting at our event september 14th and 15th here in edmonton so uh i had asked and you were talking about this off air why did you accept to <laughs> present <laughs> and uh, a little bit of a hint as to what you have in store for people who will be attending uh, <laughs> so why i accepted to present was this man on the left of my screen here, Dean? <laughs> Dean would not let me say no. I was pretty, so, I was pretty asshole about it. I was like, "Listen, man, like you got to speak at some point. Like, just get over it." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a good thing too because uh, I there are times there are certain areas where I like to live inside. I live, like to live inside the box. So, Dean, I felt like I thank you for it because you were pulling me out and not. Because not in a malicious way, you no. really wanted to you believe I have something to share, and, and I I agree with you. I, I yeah. believe so as well. So I yeah. think this would be a great a great platform um, to do it upon. Well, and one of the nice <laughs> things, like without like pumping your tires too much, is that like we we talked about we joked about the myths and all this stuff, but you really have a unique experience that a isn't that out there like from your words, but there's a lot to learn from the stuff you've done. And even when we've met and had meetings, like there's always something to learn. And I just don't think that you're out there enough and it's not your fault and you don't have to be, but I was, I wanted personally for you to get, I want more people to hear from you because I think that I've learned a lot. So it's just, it was self-serving in a way, but I think that pushing you will also help you refine what you do have to offer. Like personally, like I thought you could, I, you, you could definitely refine that message and I'm glad that you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and go. Well, I was going to say just to sort of a, an idea of kind of like we have 10 speaking slots for this event, right? And we want to go mostly Canadian presenters. we got Greg Knuckles and Lee Peel. They're both coincidentally from North Carolina. So like both of our American speakers have to be from the same state. But as a group of us, there's five. And so Dean Somerset was the first one to say, EJ, we're all like, well, absolutely. Hell yeah. So that was an easy one. And then we grabbed Megan Calloway from Vancouver and uh, Lee Boyce is coming in from Toronto. And, and Lee's become a friend and he's just a super He's an awesome dude. I figure you probably know him. Yeah. And then Hannah Gray, who's we just recorded with, and she's one of our partners in this this whole project. And just, you know, it went on from there. And as we talked about, we wanted Jen Kish, and Jen was one of the few people to be like, no, I can't do it. It's like, shit. But uh, either way, uh, we'll, we'll try to score her for next year. And then Christian Thibodeau, who we recently had on the podcast, he sends us a message or sends me a message saying, hey, man, this lineup looks amazing. Uh, if I'm available, is there any way I could be included as part of this, right? So we're like, holy shit. So it's still probably a long shot to be able to pull that off. But uh, there's a small possibility that we may be able to squeak uh, Christian in this. Worst case scenario, we definitely are going to prioritize him for the one next year that we'll do. So Awesome. Kind of cool. That's awesome. I think perhaps maybe, and perhaps you could take a, a page from Dean's, uh, from Dean's book when it comes to getting up to present. <laughs> call her out. Make it like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and I'll be very frank. I, get, I know I was not joking, 
But I, I have a relationship with EJ where I can just say something like that, and then I just put LOL at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that'll, be, that'll, be, that'll soften it up. Um, what, what, do you, what do you, Ish, give, give him a little teaser about what your um, goal is with this. Because we haven't talked about it at all. It's just basically like, yeah. you got to do something, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. To the one arm pull up. <laughs> Sorry, you just you no, just cut out. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I just cut out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just poking around and said that I'll be presenting uh, my breakdown to how I perform my one arm pull ups. Perfect. <laughs> just, um, I, I wanted to talk about programming, uh, the hows and whys of programming. Yeah. Um, but that that title itself is, is quite vague because where I actually want to go with this, it'll tie more. It'll tie in largely with my experience with NLP and, and, and CBT and pretty much like how my presentation was built was on a question that was asked a friend who was seeing the psychosocial implications of injuries mm-hmm. in sport. And uh, she asked, why are some trainers better than others? Uh, you know, when these trainers are using the same exercises. So, you started to look, we started to look at rapport and buy-in and cueing and environment instead of just looking at, you know, the so-called sound um, principle, the sound rationale behind exercise selection, but actually looking at more than, more than exercise selection, more than, uh, more than selecting an exercise based on uh, your desire for recruitment or pinpointing recruitment or synchronization or biochemical reasons, but looking at it from a rapport standpoint, from the psychological standpoints or implications. So I think when it comes to programming that the psychology of the individual, the coach and the individual should be at the forefront. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of found like a unique way to express how I've been doing it before I even knew I was doing this and what I analyze and rediscover to figure out if what I'm doing is actually working. That's sweet. I think that's like actually a very succinct way of not telling everything, but giving um, a good idea of what you're going to hear, which is like totally you. That's like simple concept, rabbit hole, but totally going to help people. <laughs> Where is, uh, another thing, to, well, one thing uh, uh, perhaps in closing is um, a lot of people know me by, you probably saw this on my Facebook, the name, so mm-hmm. or my name, O-T-N-O-C-B-L. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of people know me as EJ or Manuel Joseph Paris. Yeah. So that's another rabbit hole I could, <laughs> we could uh, uh, touch on, but I'll make it very brief, maybe simple. But as I uh, announced my flesh and blood living soul, um, as uh, I put the distinction between being the trade name, Emmanuel Joseph Paris, mm-hmm. and the actual flesh and blood living soul, Otiano Chi Bayel. So I had to do that. In order to, uh, I did this through a statutory declaration that I sent to Rachel Notley through the province of Ontario, um, because I'm on this journey of learning how to become a secured party, uh, mm-hmm. becoming a private citizen and not a public citizen. So um, I know during the show you guys have been calling me EJ, and I'm, that's that's cool. Uh, but <laughs> EJ is basically an abbreviation for the trade name. Yeah. The government created the fictitious or corporate entity. So I've established the distinction. Um, so 
the thing is like we all possess rights as a human being. We possess rights as a person, but possessing and invoking or demanding them is very different. You can possess them, but not. So what I've done is I've decided to actually use them, you know, or first to study them and then invoke them and then protect them. Because if I don't, then I exchange my rights for privileges and I don't want the government to decide how, like, you know, they're going to be the ones who educate or tell me what. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's just like, it, 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 that's totally you in, in, in a good way, in a loving way. Because like, like I said, I've known you as EJ, but like, there's always that name. <laughs> But it's, yeah. it's just interesting because I never knew that about you. And it, it's partially because, like, in your short-term interactions, like, a lot of people know you as that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, that's yeah. just... So let's now sort of unclusterfuck some of that <laughs> as we always want our listeners to find our guests on social media to follow them. So can you tell people where to find well, you? Which is funny because there's actually a good... Um, this is like you've changed your Instagram name a few times and like I'm trying to find you to like message you and it's like is it Coach Pal? Is it, is it, it's like fuck so now I just type in Pal and I can, it usually comes up <laughs> before when you were changing it every other time it's like god damn EJ as I go EJ yeah I, yeah I think in the beginning I started I started off it was just EJ Pal yeah and then or sorry it was EJ Paris and then EJ Pal then after pow, that, pow, I pow. think I had like, a, yeah, I had pow pow, <laughs> and then finally just settled with coach pow. It'll change again. And the underscore movie. <laughs> Someone told me about the Oli, um, the L O O L Y um, uh, suffix yeah. that you can add onto your name uh, just to kind of to, as a representation to show that you're an Olympian. Yeah. So think that'll be the final change but yeah you can find me on on instagram at coach pow underscore my fashion page (laughs) underscore and a n d underscore clothes yeah and and yeah so boats and clothes uh boats basically the acronym for based on a true story Ah. a lot of my clothes yeah i got some some deep messages in there just uh we just had a fashion show the art gallery uh here in alberta over the weekend, so it's a successful one. Now moving on to the Western Canada Fashion Week, which will be at the Art Barn. Oh, we lost him for a second, guys. Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. We got back. We're good. Cool. Or where should I? Yeah, you're Where's good. It? We're, we're going to just roll with it. You, it's been spotty. You okay. mentioned uh, the Art Barn, the Western. Yeah, so- yeah, Western kind of fashion week, but just say like I'm I'm Facebook when it comes to the coaching side, the Otiano Chi Bayel that appellation. I kind of if you look at some of my posts, I get a little bit more political. Um, so I I haven't created a distinction between the coach and the floating soul, or excuse me, between the two. And I use my Facebook um, for other reasons. So I haven't created a, a Coach Pal page or anything yet. But uh, I'm really, I'd say really spending time with the ones you love, so to speak. So I'm, when I'm 
within reach, arm's reach of an individual. And suppose that's because of charisma and so forth. Like, I, I don't think I don't do so well remotely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I have clients who I train online, but a lot of them are actually from Edmonton and they train at the Kinsman. So I get to see them anytime I'm there, you know, coaching. But uh, I guess I jokingly, my girlfriend asked me, why don't you get out on social media a little bit more? And I said, I, this is going to sound rude, but I was like, I don't really give a shit about the hypothetical motherfuckers who are trying to pay attention to me. <laughs> I understand this, the bore that these social media platforms audience that you borrow is the word that I mean, I use, uh, that's the objective word. Um, but I really love, I really love like, uh, uh, my immediate community more that might sound, some people might take that offensively, but I really enjoy the people that I work with, uh, really get to, I really enjoy the people that I can reach out and touch. And I feel like I just have more of a profound effect just because of my vibration, my energy as well, you know, that doesn't quite get transferred you know, um, through the computer screen and such. Uh, I'm sure it's something that I can develop, but I ain't trying to do that right now. (laughs) I like it. It sounds like you've got a pretty full plate with a lot of really good things. You've had a lot of success with it. You know, there's a reason why we had 10 opportunities to invite people to come and speak. You were one of the 10. And I don't think our audience is going to be remotely disappointed with what they're going to see. So again, anyone who's interested in, in the event, September 14th, 15th here at Edmonton, uh, it's you can find links that splashed all over Mind Dean's social media, and if you're curious about, it, just send one of us a message. Uh, follow EJ in his various forms on Instagram, all the forms, and uh, and thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us. We'll let you get back to your busy day full of your many adventures. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was awesome. Uh, the Strength Symposium, the Edmonton Strength Symposium in September. You guys are gonna have an awesome time listening to me and the star-studded list of of uh, speakers. Can't wait. Only one Olympian, though. Only one Olympian. Yeah. Who knows? I might. I'm actually talking with uh, you know Neville, right? Uh, so Neville went to. He's a three-time Olympian in bobsled. Yes. Yeah. So I just asked him the other day if he's gonna be here around that time. He said yes. So. May get him to come out and just yeah. stand next to me. <laughs> then you guys can say we've got two Olympians. <laughs> well, I'm gonna work on Jed as well to see if we I, get the three. See if I can get Jed to actually at least, at least show up and hang out as well too. So maybe yeah. we'll stack it up a little bit. Cool guys, thanks yeah. for tuning in and listening. Um, I know this one, the audio quality, we had sort of a poor connection, so we apologize for that. But uh, it's really worthwhile, and we should be back next week. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not even sure who we got next week. Yeah. But we got a line. We got a good lineup stacked up. So right. we'll uh, figure it out. Shut up and sit down.